Bibles, if you would, and let's go to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, 2 Peter, chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 16. And it says, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. So here we have Peter talking about things that are hard to be understood. And again, this is what we would call a, a uh, what I would call a loose series. It's not uh, uh, connected by verses in um, uh, in context here, but more along the ideas of of difficult things, of hard to understand things. And let's just pick up the context here as as we uh, look on here, and we'll start with uh, verse eight. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, where in the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, and also, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in the which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction." Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. And so, what we have here is Peter speaking about the timing of the end events when Jesus comes back uh, to earth, the promise of his coming. And uh, I think most of us would readily admit these are hard things to be understood. And, and we'll uh, pick up there, but uh, right now he, he talks about the timing of this event. And, and I, I love verse 
8, it says that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, people love this verse. Um, those that would try to teach uh, what is called theistic evolution, or that God used evolution to create the earth, say, look at this, one day is as a thousand years. And so the earth could be four and a half billion years old and God could have taken hundreds of millions of years to let things create themselves rather than doing it in six literal days. Now, how many of you immediately see the problem with one year is a thousand days and a total of four and a half billion years? Uh, does anybody see that? I hope you do. Uh, it, what What they are simply doing is trying to stretch the Scripture to fit human reasoning. Now, this is what Peter's talking about when he talks about those who rest or wrestle with the Scriptures to their own destruction. The Bible is never meant to fit man's understanding. How many of you are keeping up with your, your Bible reading? I mean, we're almost through the New Testament. You're reading all those things in Revelation. Now, those words were penned about 100 A.D. How many of you need uh, a, a thorough explanation of a mountain of burning fire falling on the water and the waters becoming bitter and people dying because of the bitter waters of this mountain of fire which fell out of heaven? I mean, we, if, if you understand anything about atomic warfare, that's exactly what happens. Is the fallout poisons water and people die from drinking water that has been radiated with the fallout. I mean, that is a human explanation. Try to explain that 500 years ago. It just, there, there would be no explanation. But, but today we can see these things. Uh, we're going to get very soon to the story of the three witnesses, and it says all the earth is going to behold them. Imagine trying to read that verse before the invention of television and the Internet. It, it wouldn't make any sense. How is all the earth going to see something that happened in the city of Jerusalem. But now all you do is pull out your smartphone and punch it all up and you can see events happening anywhere in the world via the Internet. But we do not ever... We can take things that we know and we understand and we can go to the Bible... And we can see how the Bible, way ahead of time, forecasts things that now are possible through what we would call common technology, things that we all have. But we don't go the other way, where we take the Bible and try to make it fit what we think ought to happen. Are, are we all still together here? And so... When the Bible says that one day with the Lord is as a thousand day, a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, 
What Peter is simply explaining to us, God does not wear a wristwatch that keeps the same time that we do. God is not bound by time like we are. Um, I mean, most people say, oh, pastor, you're getting into science fiction. And No, no. What we're simply saying is God is bigger than time. That's, that's what Peter was simply saying. Each one of us is bound by time. We were putting that scaffolding up today, and I'm sitting there, Andrew, what has happened? These boards are so much heavier than they were uh, the last time, and the fr- everything's gotten heavier. Well, maybe I've gotten older. Uh, there, there is a, this thing called time is not going to stand still for any of us. But God is not connected to time. He is not a servant of time. He does not have to watch his clock. He, he is not affected. He does not grow old. He, does, he was never young. God always is as he is today. And somebody said, well, wait a minute. God always was as he... No, God always is. Because God is present tense. He is never past, future. God is always to right now. And the, the Bible tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. If you read the earlier part of the chapter, it says in the last days there's going to come scoffers. And certainly uh, they, uh, the world is full of scoffers today, is it not? And they call us people who wait for the second coming of the Lord, foolish and all kinds of names and things like that. But we're going to find out here, as Peter is explaining the timing of these things, and it's absolutely interesting as he uses this, that the day of God is the phrase that he uses, or the day of the Lord is found in other passages of the Scripture is going to last just a little over a thousand years. The day of the Lord is a time period that starts with the rapture of the church, the great the tribulation period lasting seven literal years begins uh, right after the rapture of the church at the end of the seven-year tribulation is the battle of Armageddon where Jesus establishes himself as the king of all the earth. He is then going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And when that reign is over, there's going to be another rebellion. God is going to put it down immediately. And once that happens, we're going to have the great white judgment seat of Christ where the unsaved dead are judged and sentenced to eternity in the lake of fire and then begins a time period, for lack of a better term, we call eternity future. That entire end time there is going to be a little over a thousand and seven years. We don't know exactly the, the uh, number of days that are involved there. And it could start before this service is over. I remember um, 1988 was a big year. 
because Israel became a state in 1948, and Jesus uttered a prophecy, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. And so they started God's time clock when Israel became a state in 1948. And so 40 years is a generation, so everything's got to happen before 1988. Uh, In fact, there was a fundamental Baptist preacher wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. And... uh, Everywhere uh, my future wife and I went in that year, people would joke for us, would joke about that, and they would tell us, why are you getting married? Jesus is coming back two weeks after your wedding. I mean, it's going to, well, that was almost 30 years and 12 kids ago. Uh, I'm glad we went ahead and uh, didn't make our plans on someone's surmisal of what they thought God's time period was. Amen. We're supposed to serve God. We're supposed to understand the Lord is not taking His time. He is moving at His pace and things will be done on His time schedule. God is never late. He's never early. He's always on time because God controls time. And so as we look at the beginning of this passage here, we understand that uh, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with the fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that therein shall be burned up. And of course, I have to say this, those that are supposed to know, what are they talking about? Global warming, the ice caps are going to melt, and everything's going to be flooded. Now, what's the Bible say? The Bible says the elements are going to melt with the fervent heat. So, it's not going to be melting ice caps. We're not going to have polar bears floating into New York Harbor and drowning, and everybody gets so sad at seeing the polar bear. And and, and, um, all that was fake, by the way. None, none of it was real. The polar bear wasn't going to drown. And all of these things that people try to say because they're going against the Scriptures. Here's what the Bible tells us. Verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Seeing that God does have a time frame and God is going to do things and that everything that we can touch and see and build here on earth is going to be dissolved, that ought to change our perspective on life. Amen? That that ought to motivate us to serve God sincerely and honestly and in true holiness, the Bible says. And yet verse 13 says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. How many of you are looking forward to the day where there will not be one politician in charge of anything? I mean... 
wouldn't that be a wonderful, wherein righteousness dwells. That means no politicians, uh, right from the beginning. And uh, Jesus is going to be in charge. It's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. We read the book of Revelation. It says all the tears are going to be wiped away. I'll tell you what, no more pain, no more death. I'm looking forward to that. That gives me hope that this world is not all there is. I've had people over the years that say, well, heaven's right here on earth. And I'm sitting here, wow, how small is your God? And then, and then the other extreme, no, I believe hell is right here on earth. And sitting here going, how holy could God be if this is, everyone has to endure the same judgment and the same problems. This None of that could be true, but God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And we get down to verse 16, and, and Peter tells us that Paul makes mention of these things. And there are some things that he makes mention of that are hard to understand. Now, let's take just a moment, and, and we, could, we could spend a month of Sundays or Thursdays on this, and we're going to try to go in short order. But turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talking about the coming of the Lord, the, the end of all things, Paul speaks about that in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll, I'll challenge you, 1 Corinthians 15 is not a simple chapter in the Bible. It, it is hard to be understood. And as Paul talks on here, he, he begins with the work of Jesus Christ, how that, uh, more, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Paul's not talking about losing your salvation. He's talking about people who are not trusting in the gospel alone. People like to add things to it, and we'll get to that in a minute. But here is the gospel. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. That's the first part of the gospel. And that he was buried. Second part. And that he arose again, that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel message. Jesus died. He was buried. And he rose again. We preach the gospel message almost every service in, in, in our church. We celebrate it. When we baptize people, that is the, uh, the gospel in picture. The death, going back into the water, the burial under the water, the resurrection out of the water. We're supposed to live in the newness of life. We celebrate the gospel each and every day. And Yet Paul goes on and, and he's, he's talking about how that Jesus Christ one day will rule over everything. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And then verse 29, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? 
Why are they then baptized for the dead? Now, you talk about a passage that people have problems with. Uh, boy, uh, uh, the Mormon church has made a fortune off this passage. Uh, because if you have anybody that died in the Mor- without Mormon faith, you can go and pay a fee and, and go through certain ritual and be baptized for them. And God will pull their soul out of hell and put it on the right side of the resurrection. Now, that's okay if you're a Mormon and you're making money on but that's not what the Bible's talking about. If very, very succinctly, the baptism of death, that's what happened to Jesus on the cross. That's what happened to every martyr that has given their life for the name of Jesus Christ. That is the baptism. You're immersed in death for the cause of Christ, being dying in obedience to God. The, praise the Lord. Not every Christian has to have that baptism. Amen? But there are many down through the centuries that have. I will tell you, it took me hours and hours and hours and hours of study to find that. You can't find that in the commentaries because people just look over there and say, well, well, we're not sure what that means. But Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized of. And he told James and John that they were going to be baptized with that same baptism. James was beheaded. By Herod the king, now wasn't he? He was the first of the apostles to die. And if you read the verse right after that, he says, And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? It's talking about suffering unto death for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's all that that is. But I'll tell you, if you're not careful, you'll get stuck with that. Now we get down to verse 36. And here's what Paul says. Thou fool. Uh Uh-oh, wait a minute, what happened? Verse 35, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Paul says, thou fool. He is condemning the foolishness. You cannot understand everything that God is going to do. He hasn't explained that to us. And, And Paul goes on and he says, even when you plant a seed in the ground, that seed dies. And it germinates and whatever was the seed rots and goes into the ground and that new seedling grows up and produces fruit. And God's going to take our bodies and put them in the ground. If we um, walk through the valley of the shadow of death before Jesus comes back, and He'll take care of what happens during the resurrection. And, And Paul condemns people for trying to figure out things that God didn't tell us. And you read on here, and we get down here, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Somebody said that verse ought to be put up in the church nursery, right? Uh, The little children aren't going to sleep, but they're all going to have to have their diaper changed. That's not what it's talking about, honest and true. Uh, It says, some of us as servants of Christ are going to die. But no matter who is alive and who is dead when Jesus comes back, we're all going to be changed. 
into His likeness. We're going to know as we are known. And the last enemy that is going to be destroyed is death. And we'll serve Jesus forevermore. Can we say amen to that? But I want to challenge you. There's, if, if we just wanted to go through 1 Corinthians 15, verse by verse and phrase by phrase... We could spend a month of Thursday nights just going through what's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Do you think Peter was absolutely spot on when he said that there are some things that Paul wrote about concerning the end times that are hard to understand? Are are we together? Do we need to do... Let's go to uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, this is Paul writing here. And verse 7 says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. How many of you would agree with me? That sounds like a fairly difficult passage, hard to understand. And many people have stumbled at this passage and have gone really afar. Very simply, what it's saying is the Holy Spirit is that influence. When the church is raptured out The work of the Holy Spirit as we know it today is going to be removed from this earth. Imagine what this world would be like if there were no restraining power of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you what it will be like. Seven-year tribulation, because that's what's going to happen. Three-quarters, two-thirds to three-quarters of the world's population is going to die in less than seven years. It will be the worst moments of all of history. If you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul again gives us the story and tells us about the second coming of the Lord. These are things that are hard to be understood. And by the way, if Paul wrote Hebrews, we just spent last week going through Hebrews, there's an awful lot that's hard to be understood in the book of Hebrews. By the way, John hadn't written the book of Revelation yet, so Peter couldn't comment on how difficult that book is to understand. Uh, it, it shouldn't be amazing to us. It shouldn't be something that shocks us that there are things in the Bible that are difficult to understand. In fact, Some people use that as an excuse not to understand anything that is in the Bible. But let's get back to 2 Peter chapter 3 if we can. 2 Peter chapter 3. And really where we want to spend the emphasis of our time tonight. Verse 16, 
through 18 tells us that we have three options here. You see, what you do with the Word of God, the Bible tells us what the outcome is going to be. How you choose to handle this book called the Bible, what you choose to believe or disbelieve about it, has specific, definable outcomes that cannot be changed. But what you can change is your choice of how you're going to handle the Word of God. Are are we together? The first one is it says that they wrestle those that are unstable, they, they are unlearned, and they wrestle, they rest, as they do also the other Scriptures unto their own destruction. Um, I will tell you, it was years ago, we were just starting the church, and uh, I walked out, and there under the windshield wiper of our van at that time was a newspaper. And uh, I opened it up, and it was full of Scripture references. I mean, just uh, not 10 or 20, but well over 50 Scripture references and all these statements. And, and I said, wow, what in the world is this? And then it was Tony Alamo. How many of you have seen one of those things? I mean, you talk about a nutcase. Someone that has no biblical sense whatsoever uh, What is it? Even a broken clock is right. A stop clock is still right twice a day. Uh, But one that's running its own speed is never, ever right. And Mr. Alamo is as wrong as you can be about everything that he ever talked about. He's a flaming example of those who wrestle with the Scriptures to their own destruction. How many Internet preachers are out there? And uh, uh, isms and schisms and cults and, oh, I I think, uh, now I'm dating myself, but you go back uh, into the early 70s and there was this guy on television and uh, uh, the TV camera would begin to zoom in and he would spin around in the chair and pick up the telephone and go, hello, God. It was Herbert W. Armstrong. And there are still people out there that follow the teachings of this lunatic. He, his main claim to fame is that white Caucasian Western Europeans are the ten lost tribes of Israel. Uh, I am sure that... Uh, Uh, those in charge of immigration in the land of Israel would have a few things to say about that. That, that I don't think that uh, they would agree to that at all. And, uh, I mean, this guy, uh, again, uh, we don't have time to play game, uh, to go through all of the craziness. How about Harold Camping? My, My favorite statement is, not everybody is wrong about everything except Harold Camping. Uh, that guy was so, so desperately wrong about everything. Just one example. He said, 
You cannot believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because you trying to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is a work. And you can't be saved by works. Now, if that makes sense to you, please sign up. You need desperate counseling and help. Uh, the guy was total lunatic. He finally came out and said, the church is dead and the only place you can find anything true is by listening to me on the radio until God took his voice away. Mm. I just love the poetic justice of God. Amen? He lost his voice for the last, uh, I think it was 12 or 14 months of his life, couldn't speak, literally. Uh, And that doesn't always work that way, but it did with him. You can find anything. I don't care what you want to believe. You can find somebody in this great, wonderful city who has already thought about that and established some kind of cult promoting that kind of foolishness. I, I don't care what it is. If you believe that God has called you to stand on your head and spit wooden nickels into a, a hula hoop, uh, I, I'm sure you could find somebody that's already figured that out. Uh, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, there are people that are going to wrestle with the Scriptures to their own destruction. And you can't stop them, and I can't stop them, but we can pray with them, for them. Amen? And we can pray that God would allow them to find repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Peter said there are hard things to be understood in the Bible, and there are people that are going to take these hard things. I, I've known people who have literally lost their minds. Had a young man in the youth department I grew up in. He went to a Bible college and he got into a group of people and they were studying all these hard things. And when he came back, he'd just sit there like this. He'd say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, fine. Wonderful. What happened? Oh, nothing. I'm really good. I mean, the guy was gone. I don't think he ever spoke a cognitive sentence at least in the years that I, I knew him, he was, his mind was totally destroyed by the wrestling of the Scriptures. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because the next one, look at the next possible option here. It says, Ye therefore, beloved, verse 17, seeing ye know these things before, beware. Lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. How many of us know people who were once members of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church that now aren't serving God anywhere? Beware. You can be led away. I'll tell you, I'm... Hate to name names, but I think of our former missionary to Indian, India, uh, Pemberton. Uh, he was an incredible young man. I mean, I remember when he came and showed his presentation, everybody's going, wow. He 
sits around coffee shops in a pair of shorts, attends a Southern Baptist church, and is doing absolutely nothing realistic to serve God today. Why? Because he got over there, things didn't work out the way that he wanted them to work out, and he blamed the Bible, and he blamed his pastor, Brother Gaddis, and he blamed his church, Southwest Baptist, and he blamed his college, Heartland, and said they were all wrong, and he was the only one that was right. He fell from his steadfastness and his service. You're going to... You're going to lose. Look what it says here. These are people that had the truth. And they were led away with the error of the wicked. They, they lost their service. They lost their doctrine. And they lost their holiness. You see, we have many churches, and I could give you names and addresses where the gospel used to be preached. And today, oh listen, we're, we're a purpose-driven church. Our, our church is here to serve people. God wants you to be happy. Excuse me? Where does it say that in the Bible? I'll tell you what it says, that your joy may be full. That's not happy. It talks about the levels of blessing. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. You want to be blessed? You've got to get those things in your life that the Bible's talking about. How many of you found some of those blessings by being poor in spirit and mourning and meekness and merciful? How many of you know the joy of winning another soul to Christ, being a peacemaker? Let me, let me tell you something. You can lose what God has given you if you're not careful. If you get something in your mind that you think you're the only one that knows. Scripture's not of any private interpretation. There's nothing new. What's the last alternative? But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many remember that little song? That's the last verse. That's the last option. Uh, by the way, it's by far the best of the three. The other two are not to be chosen. In fact, they're not chosen willfully. No one starts out saying... I'm going to wrestle with the Scriptures and destroy my mind and so I'm a zombie and go to hell. Nobody's going to do that purposefully, but it happens. Nobody says, well, I, I want to serve the Lord, but I'm going to end up a spiritual bum along the high, highway of life. And, and I'm just going to sit there and do nothing and be worthless for the Lord. Nobody decides they're going to do that. It happens. Why? Because you made a choice about what you're going to do with the Word of God. But if you'll grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, guess what? 
To Him be glory, both now and forever. You can glorify Him by the way you live today. And when we get to heaven, that's what heaven's going to be about, is giving glory to God. How many of you remember before you were saved how complicated and crazy the Bible was? You couldn't even... It just didn't make any sense at all. Is anybody else like that? Then you got saved. All of a sudden, the Bible makes sense. In fact, some of the most complicated passages in the Bible we've been dealing with on Thursday nights here the last nine weeks. And I haven't seen anybody walk out like... Yeah, I don't know where he said. That was just too... In fact, what, I, what I've been getting is, Pastor, we already know this. Why are you making it sound like it's so complicated? Well, here's the problem. Is to a person that is wrestling the Scriptures to their own destruction, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is the most complex thing that their mind cannot conceive of. It's just beyond their ability to reason or grasp. Those people that have turned their back on the simplicity of Christ and the beautiful, uh, compact, um, wonderfulness of the local church. How messed up their lives are. They... they They've they've lost their steadfastness. Why? Because they weren't careful. They didn't take the warning. But I'll tell you what, it is wonderful to watch people grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To let Jesus do the changing in your life. And I've had people say, well, you're just old-fashioned. You know what? Yes, I am. In fact, I'm not looking for 1,800 old-fashioned. I'm not looking for 1,600 old-fashioned. I'm looking for 33 A.D. old-fashioned. How about that? The life and time of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Could we just stick with what the Bible says? Oh, but you you can't take those ancient truths and live them in a modern world. Want to make a bet? I'll challenge you, you can. It's a whole lot simpler trusting Jesus than it is the politicians. It's a whole lot easier... To trust Jesus than it is to make to file your own taxes, Amen. But you got to stop wrestling, and you've got to choose to just take the Bible for what it says. You know that's going to make some things happen. First of all, you're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and get saved. Then you're going to get baptized and join a Bible-believing church. And and then you're going to serve God under the direction and and through the context of the local church. 
and you're going to read your Bible, and you're going to study, and you're going to listen to preaching, and all of a sudden you're going to find out that this vast, complicated book that the most learned people you used to know couldn't understand a thing, all of a sudden you're understanding more than those who are supposed to be their teachers. Because you're growing in grace. What's that song? I love that song. More about Jesus would I know. More of His grace to others show. More of His saving fullness see. You see, there are hard things in the Bible. Yes, we know that. But stop worrying about the hard things and get busy doing the things you can do. And the hard things will take care of themselves. And all God's people say, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you.